Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Today, I am so excited for the guest we have. We have Heather Mayer Irvine, who is the former food and nutrition editor for Runner's World, and also the author of the Runner's World Vegetarian Cookbook. She is now a freelance journalist based in Pennsylvania, and her work has appeared in tons of national publications like Runner's World, of course, Bicycling, Health.com, The Boston Globe, Cooking Light, and Live Strong. Heather is an avid runner, so she logs miles solo or with her double stroller. She's run seven marathons with a best of 331, and she's most proud of her five minute and 33 second mile and 19 minute and 44 second 5k, which seems incredible. Uh, she loves food. She's never met a burger or an ice cream sundae she didn't like. And I had such an awesome chat with Heather. We talked about so many things like her position at Runner's World, how she made sure the nutrition info being put out was credible, her favorite articles that she's written throughout the years, what running really means to her, and what it was really like to write the Runner's World Vegetarian Cookbook. This was a really, really awesome chat for anyone who loves running, loves nutrition, or just likes to hear about behind the scenes at a magazine. So I'm super excited for you to listen, and let's dive right into that chat. Hey, Heather, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Natalie. I'm really excited to chat with you about all your experiences, and especially as the former food and nutrition editor at Redrooms World. Well, it's nice to be on the other end of the interview, so thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just start with like a little bit about you. Can you tell me about what made you interested in journalism? Oh, that goes back some 25 years at this point. Um, I've been writing forever. Uh, I've just, I've always wanted to write stories. And my aunt and my mom actually, you know, I said, oh, you know, you should be a writer. You should be a reporter for no other reason, I guess, than they saw that I like to write. And when I was eight, I started a newspaper for my street called the Neighborhood News. And I would go door to door every week collecting news and, you know, going to my aunt's house because we didn't have a computer. It was what, early mid nineties and putting it in in Corel Draw and reporting that so-and-so had a baby or so-and-so is moving. And I did that for a couple years. And then uh, I started writing a column for our local paper about um, the middle school, Blake's breaking news, Blake Middle School. And so it was just sort of put me on this path and I, I just knew, like, this is what I'm going to do in, in some capacity. Oh, my God. That is amazing. So you actually hand wrote those newspapers that you sent out to your community? I, I hand wrote the notes, which I still do today. Uh, okay. But no, I, I went to my aunt's computer at her house because oh. we didn't have one. And I would type it up in Corel Draw, which is this old program <laughs> with really weird artwork. Do you still have any of those copies? And you I look do, back at them? I, I do. And, you know, I was eight, so I really shouldn't be too hard on myself. But my grandmother put together, maybe not all the copies, but a bunch of them, as well as clips from the local paper in a binder. And she opened, you know, the book, you open up the binder and there's a page that says, um, you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. 
and that's actually um, the the dedication uh, in my my cookbook. It was dedicated to my grandmother, and it says the same thing. So I do have copies of of that, and it's just wild to see what eight year old me reported. That's awesome. I love that so much. That's so cool. I wish I could see them. I'll, I'll send them to you so you can take a look. Okay, cool. Uh, so fast forward a lot of years and you end up as the food and nutrition editor at Runner's World. How did you get there? I'm sure that's kind of a journey within your journalism career, but how did you get there? And it's kind of also rare that a publication has Mm-hmm. A, a nutrition editor. So how did that mm-hmm. all come to be? Well, so I knew I wanted to get into journalism. Uh, I studied newspaper journalism. It's no longer called that uh, at Syracuse. Um, I think it's called newspaper and online right now. But so I knew I wanted to do that. And kind of toward the end of high school and entering college, I started to get really interested in nutrition and more of a personal thing. It was something that I wanted to learn more about. And as I took more classes. I chose to minor in it. Um, as I took more classes, I thought, oh, this is something I want to write about. I want to write about health, nutrition, science. And so, you know, my dad had said, and I tell this story a lot, you know, oh, you should be minoring in political science. That's what journalists should study. And he, while he's not wrong, especially today, uh, I told him, I said, but I don't want to write about that. I want to write about nutrition. And so that's where my study should be. And I, I think that really did give me a leg up as I went out into the world of unpaid internships and job hunting, because I did have this background. And so when I graduated college, I knew, okay, I'm going to write about health, fitness, nutrition. And I took many unpaid internships in that field. And it was, I had, I had always run, I ran you know, starting in high school, but it was really after college that I started to get much more into it, much more competitive. And so these, these worlds were all coming together. And I thought, well, my dream job would be to be a nutrition editor or a nutrition writer at runner's world. And it was, you know, I just threw it out into the universe and that was it. And then however many years later, that is where I ended up. That's crazy. Uh, and that, that's a wild story if you if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you kind of create that position for yourself or was that something they were looking for? How did that work? So it was something they were looking for. It was um, it's no longer called fuel, but the section was called fuel. And I was at a job. I was in advertising and healthcare advertising for a while. And I was on Twitter and someone I followed from Syracuse had tweeted to an editor who also went to Syracuse about marathon training. And here I am at this job killing time. And I chimed in and, you know, with a hashtag, it was um, hashtag worst 26 two tips. So we were talking about marathon training and the social media editor at runner's world, who is now a dear friend, she picked up the hashtag and all of a sudden you've got the runner's world community using that hashtag. And so I tweeted again, you know, my hashtag got picked up by runner's world, hashtag dream job. So this editor who had gone to Syracuse, uh, she was a year above me, she messaged me and she said, we're hiring a nutrition editor, are you interested? And I was just, uh, what? what? And (laughs) that is how I got the job at runner's world. That is really cool. I I didn't actually know that you worked in advertising. It's funny because for anyone listening, Heather and I have known each other for a few years because I write for Runner's World and she was there as my editor when 
I started writing there and now she does freelance writing and she'll use me as a source for her nutrition uh, articles. So I, we've known each other for a few years and we chat and I never knew that you worked in advertising. And I don't know if I ever told you that I worked in advertising. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. What type I, of advertising did you do? I worked in ad sales. So it's funny when you were talking before about your, your degree in journalism and how it has changed now from what it was. I, <laughs> I worked in ad sales and I worked for TV. So I sold TV commercials and this was wow. even before digital was a thing. And then they started getting digital ad sales. And now I have no idea what it's even like it anymore at this point, but um, I, you probably were doing more ad creative, I'm assuming yes. or no. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, coffee. That's That's, so funny. I know that is, that is pretty funny. Uh, that that's a really, I mean, that's awesome. That kind of goes to show the power of social media. Yes. To say the least. And that is, you know, you, you hear these stories and, you know, I would hear crazy stories like this when I was in new house at school and oh, that never happens. And no, it does. It's rare, but it happens. And it, it is truly to a point of who, you know, yeah, and definitely networking. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm sure. And it's everyone. I mean, I, I, I'm not even on Twitter because I tend to think of it as a, as some somewhat of a negative platform, but Fair. that's like really a Fair. positive thing that can come out of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, yeah. So that's where I was. And, you know, then, um, it was, it was amazing. I had a great team. I loved what I was doing. And then it just freelance, um, was a better fit. And that's what I'm doing now um, with a lot of work for Runner's World and other health-based publications. Super cool. Um, And when you were at Runner's World, I personally love Runner's World because I feel like they do a really good job of providing science-based info, but also staying away from clickbait stuff. And as a, someone who has a science degree and tries to provide science-based information, that's kind of what I'm looking for when I'm reading nutrition articles or writing nutrition articles. So when you were there, how did you kind of decide what was newsworthy and what was too much of a fad to, to not cover? It's, like, it's a really good question. And it's really tricky. And I've, I've spoken about this before, you know, especially in the world of digital, when you need the clicks, uh, because a lot of the content is free. Uh, it's, it's balancing, you know, oh, well, you have this, this fad diet or this trend or, you know, the celebrity is doing X, Y, and Z. We need to cover that. And then you've got the people with those degrees and that background saying, oh, well. So it then becomes a matter of, okay, we think it's important to cover it because X, Y, and Z, are, they're talking about it. But how do we do it in a responsible way? And I think, especially in the field of nutrition science, when, as you know, we've talked about it, it's constantly changing. And many of the studies out there, they're small, though, a study of 10 people. And it's, well, what journal was that? And how long did they look at those people? And you should really look at 100 people at least. So it became a matter of, we need to present this because from from a business side, this is what people are talking about, but we need to do it in a responsible way. And we, I was fortunate enough to work with a, a team of really smart editors who would help me kind of find that balance. Uh, you know, if you remember the trends, uh, you don't see it as much anymore, but I tried X for 10 days and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we would all sort of laugh in those meetings because we would keep pitching them out and the, the head of digital was, like, oh, we just did that, but it, they got clicks. And so it was a matter of, okay, well, let's do it in a smart way. So let's not do something super crazy, like only drinking water for a week. 
we know that's not healthy runners should never do that no one should ever do that but so doing it you know kind of taking that and and finding a way of maybe you shouldn't do this and this is why and talk to x y and z experts uh and then you know on my way out um as editor i was asked to cover you know some intermittent fasting and keto diet and my byline is on a few of those pieces and i wanted to do it in a way that was well we know this is trending but there 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 are smart ways to do it and there are ways that it was designed to do and it is not a long term way of living it's not so i i think i i struggle too with you know when an editor asks me to do something and i i want to take the assignment but i also want to do it in a responsible way it is about finding the right experts finding the right research and presenting it and there have been times i've turned down work or i've i've told editors when i was at runners world like you know what we really can't cover this um and i've been fortunate enough to have people who support that i actually come across the same thing all the time i get asked to write stories about the keto diet or intermittent fasting which i have written about that in the past and i i kind of tackle it in the same way you do i'm going to provide the science and i'm going to tell you the that i mean there are some benefits to those things so i'm going to tell you some of them but i'm also going to tell you the negatives and kind of like show you how to do it in a responsible healthy way but then also maybe provide my opinion that this is not necessarily i think you something you should do long term so i feel your pain with there with yes. that and also <laughs> in terms of certain things you have to turn down because it's just not something you want to put your name on right and 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 related and i don't want to go off on too much of a tangent for your listeners but um when you i think an interesting space too you know working writing for runner's world or other health-based publications you've got this idea of weight loss right and you and i've talked about it and a lot of dietitians i work with are one you know we're, we're anti-diet and as a, a person and a writer and an editor so am i but i think we sort of have to walk this fine line with there are plenty of people who exercise or start running in the case of people who read runner's world who do want to lose weight and i think to uh, go ahead and attack them which honestly is kind of what happens in many spaces for wanting to do that is also wrong. And, you know, I think part of what I try to get across is if you want to exercise, because maybe your doctor said, Hey, look, your numbers aren't looking that great. You know, these are your risks and you're coming from it from a place of health and a place of, this is something I want to do. They shouldn't be shamed for that. And I think I struggle as a writer and an editor to kind of get that message across without ostracizing many of my close contacts or readers, uh, because it is a really tricky space. And I know other editors in this field struggle with that as well. Oh yeah, I know. It, it's true. I have the same thing happen with me. People ask me about that all the time and you don't, there are some people who want to lose weight or, and feel that they need to do that for their health. And that's not something that we should criticize people for. We should kind of help them, uh, which kind of leads me into my next question, which is, I always kind of think of journalism as you're presenting the facts, but not necessarily telling people what to do. You're kind of giving them the facts so that they can make the the decisions on their own. So in doing that, how do you, what, what kind of goes on behind the scenes to make sure that the nutrition stories that are being put out there are factual and credible? That's a really good question. <laughs> and now that I work across of, across many brands, you know, I'm no longer, 
the editor at Runner's World, but I work, you know, for many other health-based publications, a lot of the guidelines are, you know, find a study, you know, within the last five to seven years that is in a credible journal. And so there's a list of predatory journals and wow, there are a lot. Um, and, you know, make sure that there are at least a hundred people. Uh, we don't really like to look at animal studies because as an editor once told me, animals are not, you know, rats are not the same as people. And so it, I think it's about presenting the best information you can find, talking to the researchers, talking to registered dietitians who are registered dietitians, not nutritionists <laughs> and finding those sources. And I think too, you know, I've had assignments in which the, the information that the editor wants me to put out there, when I can't find studies that sort of pass muster, that's saying something to me. You know, why, why are we making this claim when I cannot find in like all of my resources, a study to support that, that has a hundred people that is in within the last five years. And so that is always sort of a red flag for me. And I might put that in the writing. I might say an older small study found this. And then I might have an expert say, but you also need to think about this. And so to your point, presenting as much information as possible and then sort of writing, um, uh, bicycling does this a lot. They'll sort of say like the takeaway, the bottom line, like, okay, we just gave you all of this. What do you need to know? And that, especially nutrition is usually, well, we don't totally know. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about finding those sources, you know, working with a lot of organization, like, um, uh, correct me if I always get this wrong, the Academy of, uh, nutrition dietetics. That's, yes. that's the current name, yep. right? Yeah. So finding a dietitian from there or their resources or the American Heart Association or, you know, usually if you have an org as part of your name or your website, that's a good place to start and finding um, sources. And again, just looking for studies that are, you know, robust and look at people and, you know, but it, it is tough. And I think to it, people who are reading these articles need to know, we don't know everything. And this oh, is just one piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it, even with studies, I, I always try to pull studies to uh, make my quotes based in science. But that said, when it comes to sports nutrition, and I know we're not always writing about sports nutrition, sometimes it's just <laughs> food articles, but sports nutrition, the, art, uh, the studies are small. And, and the reason for that, and I learned this when I was in grad school, is that you have to find elite athletes a lot of the times, and there's not that many of them. The studies are super intense. A lot of times they're doing things to, to exhaustion, which essentially means you do something until your body can't take it anymore. Sometimes they're doing muscle biopsies on these people, which are really invasive. So you may find a study that only has 20 people in it, and that's really all you're going to find in that realm. But that's what we have. And then there's other... Um, the newer diets that are out there, the newer eating styles that are out there, like keto and things like that, there's no research on it because it wasn't designed mm. to be what it is. <laughs> it was designed for uh, a certain disease state and now people are using it for weight loss. So it's really hard. And I think that's where dietitians come in when they're providing quotes. A lot of times I know myself, I'll say, you know, there's no research on this and this is why I don't necessarily recommend it. Uh, so yeah, it, it's difficult when it comes to that kind of. That's actually that. a really interesting point about studies. And I didn't know that. 
and that actually will help me moving forward, you know, saying, well, it's a small study, but this is why, and maybe we can take the conclusion from this in context. So thank you for that. Oh yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I think if it's in a sports nutrition journal or something like that, uh, and that's why you're only seeing 20 to 30 people in it, that's why is because those studies are, are crazy. I don't know if you've ever done any of that. I had to do it in grad school. I did a VO2 max test and it was nuts. I, had, like, I was going to say, I did that yeah. and they were doing the lactate um, finger pricks every however often. So like I'm running with like just these band-aids on my fingers. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably pay the people like 50 bucks or something. I don't even know. I don't but. even think I got, I got an entry to a race. I got an yeah. entry to a race. Yeah. So how many people are going to sign up to do that? <laughs> and I remember I had to commute for it. I had to commute and they wouldn't pay my hotel. So yeah, that's a really good point. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. So speaking of stories, do you have a favorite story that you've written? I have one that I read your article. I don't remember how many years ago this was about breaking the 20 minute 5k, which I I thought was, I mean, fascinating and amazing. And that's mine of yours. I'm, I'm sure I haven't seen all your articles, but that was one that comes to mind for me. Do you have a favorite story that you've written? So, well, thank you. That was, that piece was exciting. That's my framed, you know, I've got some great pictures from that story. Uh, So that's framed. And uh, so you sent me this question and I thought I went down a rabbit hole. Uh, (laughs) I was looking and I thought, well, I've got a favorite story that I edited and a favorite story that I, that I wrote in running and one that I didn't write in running because I've started to expand into the human interest. And so I will say my, I have a favorite story that I've edited and it was in runner's world um, almost three years ago now. It was, can you outrun a bad diet? Mm. And I worked with a really great writer. And it was a really fun piece to edit because you do, you've got people and people I used to work with who, well, I can eat that. I can eat whatever because I run and my weight is either under what I should be or on point. And that's a whole other discussion. But this article sort of debunked that and it was you know, it used um, Dave McGillivray of, he's the Boston Marathon director who had, he's had several heart attacks, but he runs and he didn't, but he had a family of heart, of heart, of bad hearts. And it, this whole article that I worked on was kind of saying, you run, that's great, but no, you can't outrun a bad diet. Um, So that was my favorite that I, that I edited. And then I started going down this rabbit hole and I wrote a piece uh, a couple of years ago for women's running and it was sort of an essay about my mom who started running sort of like run walking half marathons. And so it was, you know, look, she would come cheer me on and she would say, I can do that. Why am I cheering? I should be doing it. And so it sort of covers the first time we ran one together and sort of her journey as a runner and as a mom. And so that piece I really loved, but then I went down, I wrote a piece last year for popular mechanics on trunk space which was great because it was so not nutrition or running or anything. <laughs> it was so different. Um, but then back in the running space, I've, I did, you know, unfortunately there was no shortage of social justice stories last year alone. And I did a few for runners worlds that highlighted uh, members of um, marginalized groups who were doing something to protest, you know, the p- police brutality. And so I did a couple of those that really was eye opening for me and, I think after you know the shooting of Arbery last, a year ago now, I thought, well, I'm a reporter. Like, what can I do? 
right? And because sort of my bread and butter, no pun intended, is nutrition, I had to look for other ways to to do something with my platform. And so I try to take more of those stories now um, because of my ability to write and I have the audience. So I don't have just one favorite, um, but it's, you know, I get to work on a lot of cool different cool different things uh, outside of nutrition and within it. And uh, for that, I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I think what you just said about what can I do? I think when you're in the media, I, at least this happens to me, sometimes I forget that people are reading what I write or that because you're not really engaging with you're not talking to people always on a daily basis. And you should engaging. not be reading the comments. So. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I've learned that early or whatever people say on social. Uh, but you you're not always talking to individuals or engaging with them. Sometimes people will send you a nice message or email you or something, but you realize that when you put something out there, a lot of people are reading it so that you are kind of doing something by just putting something out there and writing these stories. So that's really cool. But yeah, well, I could go on a tangent. I've written a lot of cool stories and it's hard, it's hard to pick just one. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> and speaking of writing, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you, I, I'm sure you consider this writing, but you you wrote, and correct me if I'm wrong, you wrote and edited the Runner's World Vegetarian Cookbook. Uh, yes. So the, the, the title I go with is author. So I okay. wrote it. I did not develop every single recipe. And I, I want to say that up front because I always, oh, I love the recipe and you're and like, great. I didn't do that. Uh, that was by no means it was that does not make this a small project because I did all of the writing but I just am going to put that out there well still I mean you develop some of them and you put them together tell me about just doing that in general that was well I mean you 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 hear on my bucket list I'd love to write a book and here it was kind of handed to me um when I started runner's worlds uh I was at I think it was in Boston. We were covering the marathon that year. One of the books editors uh, approached me and he said, I worked with the former you, the former food nutrition editor uh, on the first two cookbooks. And we want to do a vegetarian one. Are you interested? And I said, yes, I'm interested. I'm not vegetarian. And he said, that's okay. Uh, this is a shout out to Mark Weinstein or Weinstein. My, my family's Weinstein. I think he's Weinstein. <laughs> anyway, um, so I worked very closely with him and Trisha de Guzman, who kind of helped shepherd this project through. And it was, it was a massive undertaking because even though I was not developing all 150 recipes, you know, if you look at the book, we, I wrote, um, you know, about like why, what, what vegetarians in particular should think about when they're choosing foods, but why anyone can read this book and use these, you know, all runners need to eat more plants, myself included. So I felt that that was a unique angle too is having someone who does eat meat work on this cookbook and sort of emphasize the importance of plants and non-animal foods and it was yeah it was it was a big project and I was up against um not only my deadline I was up against a due date um with my first kids so I was really trying (laughs) to get that out the door uh so I could take my leave and not have to worry about the book so that was a huge project that I'm really proud of. And, you know, I, I hope it people are enjoying it out there. It was, 
you know, I, I don't know if it got the love that it deserved because of sort of transition of management, but it is out there. I love it. It's beautiful. Our team did a great job on it. And um, it, it was a cool project to work on. Everyone should get it. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, I don't know. I'm sure I've told you this as well. I've been a vegetarian for over 10 years. I, um, I think I knew that. Yeah. So interestingly, every recipe I've ever shared has been vegetarian or vegan. And I don't necessarily try to pressure anyone to eat that way. But what's been really interesting lately, I've seen within diet trends is that plant-based eating has become huge. So I'm really lucky that now people are kind of coming to me and asking more about this and wanting to uh, make my recipes and talk about being a plant-based runner or a plant-based athlete. So I obviously have this cookbook and it's a really good cookbook. And I was, <laughs> yeah, to, I went looking through it, 150 recipes is so many recipes. And I was just thinking of you and thinking how much time and effort that takes to put together. Uh, and it's, it's cool how it talks about fueling and all that stuff. So it's a great cookbook. Thank you. And yeah, we do have an intro by Scott Jurex. So that was great to get him. And, you know, I saw him a couple of times when we were visiting friends in Boulder and that was a really good um, kind of experience to work with him on that because everyone knows he's the, the vegan, the vegan runner. Yes, definitely. Okay. So one or two more questions just about running in general. We're seeing a huge kind of increase in running now, especially due to COVID and people are being forced mm -hmm. outside, which I say forced, like it's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Uh, any tips? I think we're in the minority though. I know, right? Yeah, we're like, in winter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is funny because this year now, I used to be concerned about what the weather was like. And if it was, you know, single digits, I wouldn't want to go out. And I'm like, I, I just need to get out of my apartment. I don't mm -hmm. care. I'll, I'll go running. So for people who are kind of on the same uh, wavelength, any any tips for new runners um, who want to get out there during COVID? Yeah. Well, congratulations first um, that you're making <laughs> that decision. Um, I, I actually jotted down a few notes for this because I, I didn't want to come off as super cliche, but I think I will anyway. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing to remember is that accept that it's probably not going to be easy at first, right? And I've sort of gotten on my soapbox before. You know, you've got people in the running community who have these big names and they say, you know, running sucks, running's hard. And it's like, well, I wouldn't say it sucks. I'd say it's hard. I'd say you have to work at it. Um, but I hate that you've got these people kind of garnering all this attention when it's, you're sort of putting this in people's ears, right? Like the kind of niggling in there that uh, it sucks. It's like, no, it's hard. And if you're new, it's probably going to be very hard. So I'd say like, take it slow, make it a habit, right? You know, look at your calendar and pick a couple days that you want to go, whatever that might be, whether you're going to go out for 30 minutes or 15, or I, I'm not going to run at first. I'm just going to walk, you know, take it in these small chunks because that makes it much more manageable. And I feel like if you bite off more than you can chew, you are going to say, well, this sucks. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then you're never going to, it, the doors aren't going to open to this whole world that you wouldn't otherwise experience. Um, when I started running in high school, I hated it. I, I was so <laughs> bad at it. I hated it. It was, I was doing winter track in high school. I was the slowest one. I, the, you know, they would go off for a three mile run in the snow. I'm, you know, dropped immediately. I got lost coming home because I had never run that part of my town before. It was terrible. And 
um, then when I moved, I thought, well, I need to meet new people. And I joined the cross country team. I hated it, (laughs) but eventually it got easier. I got better. I ran with friends and I slowly chipped away at it. And now it's, you know, my husband who's sitting behind me, he can attest that like, I'm out there all the time. And it's, there are days that it's really hard, but there are very few days that I wish I hadn't gone. So to sum up, I think just small chunks, except that it is not going to be easy. And if it is, well, good for you, run faster or farther. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually started running when I was 30. I, and I ran like one mile at a time. That's kind of what you have to do. And mm-hmm. definitely recognize that it's going to be hard at first. Um, and I feel like I've learned so much about myself through running over the years. I mean, mm-hmm. this is only now it's been seven years, but w- what do you, <clears throat> excuse me, do you feel like you've learned about yourself through running or what has running taught you throughout the years? I also really like that question you sent it over. <laughs> and I mean, to say that running taught me that I'm dedicated, that's because I kind of knew that I was dedicated and I try to put my best foot forward, if you will, in, in everything that I do. Uh, but running really t- taught me like the power of your your mind and your mental state and how so much of running and, and hard efforts is mental. And I think that really came to be, actually you referenced that breaking 20 minute 5K piece. I, it really became evident in that piece for me. Um, I had been training, I knew sub 20 was possible. And I kept telling myself that during my training and as I, you know, leading up to the race and during the race, you can do this. Like the numbers, they speak for themselves. And I think that's really what got me there because of your body's like screaming, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. this." But you keep telling yourself, no, you can, there's no reason why you can't. And, um, you know, there's the, the story of when I qualified for Boston, I, you know, it was, it was rough, but I got over the finish line with three minutes and whatever to spare. And I, you know, I collapsed once that's a whole other story. But I, I remember I asked the ER doctor, I said, why could I make it over that finish line? The second I got over that finish line, I was done. And she said, because your mind kept telling you just get to that finish line. And once you were there, just everything like, like just broke down. And so I think running especially has taught me just how powerful your mind is that and having babies <laughs> will tell you how powerful your mind is. And if you just, you know, kind of train that mental toughness, you can really do amazing things. I completely agree. You definitely have to have uh, that within your mind. I remember during my first marathon, I've only, I've only run two, but the first one I ran was New York city, oh which obviously, uh, yeah, obviously is amazing. And I, I remember this moment and I remember this guy and I don't even like, I don't remember his face exactly, but I remember how tall he was and whatever. So anyway, my parents were, came in cause they live in New York and they came in to watch and they were at different mile markers and around mile 20, I kind of hit the wall because that's kind of normal for most people running their first marathon. So I kind of slogged through the next few miles and they were waiting at mile 24. And I was just kind of telling myself, like, I have to get there for them. I have to get there for them. 
And I got there and I looked at them both and I was in Central Park at this point and I said, this is really hard. And the guy standing next to them had already finished. He had a medal around his neck and he, and he looks at me and he goes, you can do this. <laughs> you have this. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I do. And I like thought of that guy for the next two miles. And that's, that's I, awesome. I, I think that's how I finished the marathon, but that is exactly what yeah. I mean, that's, it's really in your mind more than anything else. I, I, I love that. That's so important to remember. Yes. It's yep. Once your mind starts saying, eh, just like you saying, you don't go out if it's one degree, it's like, well, your mind's saying, that, right. Exactly. But once you sort of power through that, it's, you know, on the flip side, if you listen to your brain, it's like, well, you're injured, but that's another discussion. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to go into I've that. Done that. I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, this has been so fun to chat with you about all of this stuff. Yeah. I have learned stuff about you that I never knew. And I'm, yeah, I feel Likewise. like this is going to, yeah, this is going to be so awesome for people to hear. Uh, where can people find more about you? Oh, um, a little shout out. My <laughs> website is heathermayerirvinwrites.com. So Heather, M-A-Y-E-R, Irvin, I-R-V-I-N-E, writes.com. I'm on Twitter where I'm mostly sarcastic and <laughs> tweeting about parenthood and running uh, at runs on fuel, which I started when I got the job at runners world. So <laughs> that's where that came from. And Instagram at runs on fuel as well. And uh, I always love to talk shop. I've had people message me, you know, I read such and such, like I have a question and I try to answer. I try to be accessible um, because to your point, you're not always talking with people who are reading your work. So Cool. And I'm sure you can find your book on Amazon. Yes. Although if you do bookshop, it's a little bit more expensive, but you are supporting local bookstores. So I've yes. got to give that shout out as well. But yeah, the awesome. Runner's World Vegetarian Cookbook. Cool. Well, thank you, Heather. This has been fun. Thank you. It's been great. And I don't have to write an article after this about it. So <laughs> yeah. it's just a fun conversation for me. Exactly. A, a little half an hour of your time and then that, yeah. that's it. People get to listen and learn. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.